Muntha, um, thank you so much for being willing to spend time with us. I can't imagine the demands that are on you at the moment, um, pastorally, but also um, prophetically in terms of speaking out um, to what is happening in, in your situation, in your context. Let me start um, by honouring you uh, with your bio so people who don't know of your prophetic and pastoral work and witness um, can contextualise you some. Reverend Dr. Muntha Isaac, whose PhD is from Oxford Centre for Mission, is the Academic Dean of Bethlehem Bible College in Palestine and the Director of Christ at the Checkpoint Conference. He's also the pastor of Christmas Evangelical Lutheran Church in Bethlehem. He is the author of From Land to Lands, From Eden to the Renewed Earth, a Christ-centred biblical theology of the promised land, as well as Christ at the checkpoint, blessed other peacemakers. And uh, one of your other texts um, that's had an impact on so many of us being um, The Other Side of the Wall, a Palestinian Christian narrative of lament and hope. Muntha, I'm, I'm not even sure how to um, acknowledge uh, the reality of ethnic cleansing and genocide um, that is going on at the moment. So I ask your forgiveness that I, I can't situate this in a way that's kind of worthy of those um, precious lives that have been lost. But just to start by saying uh, I'm so thankful for um, your voice and your graciousness um, towards us. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you, uh, Jared. I'm so happy to join you in this uh, conversation. Mate, um, I, I would love to give you an opportunity to um, choose a passage, um, or e we even discussed before we press record passages around how you'd love to um, ground your response to your moment and uh, what you have to say to those parts of the body of Christ outside your context. Um, would you read that passage or passages for us now? Yeah, um, as you know, we're going through very, very challenging times these days where we are. The world is so brutal and we are literally broken and, and devastated from the images of death around us. Um, even as we speak, I was, you know, uh, an hour ago watching uh, the images of yet another neighborhood entirely wiped out in the refugee camp of Jabalia uh, and people pulling their dear ones from under uh, the rubble. It's it's really hard. It's We're tired of this. Uh, we're tired of the silence of the world. It seems there isn't a, a serious urgent call for uh, an immediate ceasefire. Uh, we're anxious. Um, that things will escalate to our side uh, in the West Bank. We're just less than a two hours drive from Gaza. Of course, we can't get there because of the many checkpoints. We ourselves in Bethlehem right now are under uh, a strict siege. Uh, thinking about all of this in the last few weeks uh, and having the daunting task to preach uh, mm. on a Sunday uh, after uh, the church in Gaza was uh, bombed and uh, we've lost 18 people, including some friends and relatives that we know who were in that church. So, uh, made us, you know, uh, what comes to mind? Uh, how can we, how can scripture make sense? Uh, and for many of us here, the verse that, you know, we kept thinking of is uh, the lament in Psalm 22, um, which says, my God, my God, why have you uh, forsaken me? Um, 
why are you so far from saving me from uh, the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, uh, but you do not answer. And by night I find uh, no rest. Um, when I prayed that prayer in, in our church, uh, I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken Gaza? Why are you so far away from saving Gaza? Uh, oh my God, Gaza cries by day and you do not answer. Uh, and by night, but Gaza uh, find uh, no rest. Because this seems our experience right now. As I said, we are broken. And this verse pretty much speaks to our uh, how we feel, uh, uh, explains how we feel. Uh, the uh, anguish, the anger, um, and to be quite honest, the anger that even God is not listening to us right now. Uh, uh, it seems so, at least. Um, and uh, at moments, I feel like uh, stopping uh, any social media and sharing because deep in me, you know, we're thinking, does anybody care to stop this ongoing genocide uh, that is happening? Um, and uh, this sense of loneliness is so real. Uh, this sense of isolation is so real. Uh, you know, even when, when you look at footage at the cameras uh, of people, as I said, pulling their dear ones from the rubbles, they're usually shouting, where is the world? Where are the leaders of the world? Where is the conscience of the world? Uh, and I add to that, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you, uh, why have you forsaken us? Uh, so this verse, uh, as I said, uh, um, uh, to me at least was helpful <laughs> to um, confirm that this is a biblical experience it's not you know it, it's it's perfectly it, it's in the bible to feel this anguish loneliness brokenness and anger anger even towards god yeah. uh, it, it's good that we find words to pray with uh, uh, even in our time of doubt you know, mm. even when we ask, because, uh, you know, uh, I, I can't deny that even our faith is tested these days for several reasons, uh, Jared. Uh, uh, one of them being that um, we've been praying and praying for this war to stop. Mm. Uh, it seems it's only getting worse. You wonder, is God listening? In fact, on the, on the night the church was bombed, uh, we met as clergy from different churches to pray. Uh, so we were together, united, Lord, please stop this. And uh, it makes you wonder, is God even listening? Uh, and uh, what's even also, uh, what's also very, very frustrating is the fact that we continue to search for a condemnation from a church leader. On all mm -hmm. of this. Uh, it seems everybody is satisfied to say Israel has the right to defend itself. We don't want to judge. We don't want to lecture Israel. Um, um, and I have a lot to say about that. Mm. But, uh, you know, to, to have these uh, very uh, deep emotions and very, you know, when, when you are in pain, when you are literally crying, literally crying, and then see church leaders 
justifying this mm-hmm. uh, this genocide. Let's put it this way. Uh, let's say it as it is. Uh, you know, it, it makes us angry to say the least. And you know, uh, me and my friends, as we meet every night to talk and discuss, it's like I don't want this anymore. You know, uh, you know. Uh, again, uh, it, it makes us very angry from the church, very angry from our traditions. Uh, that the world is not is not listening. Uh, yet I've chosen this passage, and one of the uh, ways in which this passage has been uh, very helpful to me uh, and to us here in our situation is uh, is when you remember that Jesus Himself prayed that very same prayer on the cross. Yeah, um, and so. Uh, you know, just when you think that God has forgotten about you, you remember that Jesus himself was the victim of the very same violence of the empire of religious extremism uh, that we are facing today. Mm. Uh, And that in this land, um, the Son of God himself is the victim of this ongoing violence and uh, uh, let's say yoke of the empire, the power of of empire. Mm. Uh, This gives words like solidarity and empathy a different meaning. This takes it to a whole level uh, when Jesus becomes one of us, uh, uh, with us, with us uh, in this pain, uh, even with us in our death, uh, for he died on the cross. It wasn't just let me try this and then oh this is painful um so this takes the concept or the 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 reality the reality of god in solidarity with us to a whole new level uh you know uh we talk a lot about god of the oppressed and the marginalized uh, and in a very very real way uh here god himself becomes one of those who are oppressed uh, and marginalized um and i'd rather be on that side mm. uh, than being on the side of the oppressor uh, mm. to be honest uh it takes faith our faith is not that you know uh we've been praying lord help our faith uh, strengthen our faith to see this to accept this um uh, as we continue to pray uh and plead with god uh, to end this brutal, brutal war. Mm. Unther, um, uh, again, I, I ask your forgiveness on so many levels, but uh, I'm aware that um, none of this conversation is abstract f- for you. Um, uh, all, all of this is a, a lived reality. But I am wondering if if you'd be willing to um, allow people into some of your story in terms of uh, a question that we ask our guests is, when do you first remember encountering the scriptures? When do you first remember encountering uh, the Bible? It it might seem a a little bit of a sidestep, um, and yet I'm so aware, and I'm also trying to be careful during this current season not to give names when uh, telling stories about um, friends who are also Palestinians that um, uh, I know people who uh, day in, day out, um, uh, like yourself, 
show hospitality to people coming from realities where they are so distant from um, the pain, the anguish, the, the despair, the torment that you live with all the time. And um, after somebody opened up their story um, uh, in Bethlehem uh, with these uh, American pastors, um, uh, this one particular pastor uh, with his baseball cap um, uh, said, uh, and when did your family um, convert to Christianity? And my Palestinian friend leant back a little bit in his chair and then slowly responded, my friend, have you read Acts 2? My family responded, converted to Christianity at Pentecost. I'm wondering if you would tell some of your personal story about your own encounters with the Bible um, to kind of contextualise for people um, uh, the story of how deep Christianity is <laughs> in the birthplace of Christianity. Yeah. Um, this is when it all started. Um, let's remember that. Um, uh, you know, my good friend and colleague, Reverend Mitri Rahib, always jokes mm. that Jesus was not born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and, and the Bible was not written in the Bible Belt. Uh, <laughs> uh, and as, you know, funny or silly this joke might seem, Actually, uh, it's so true that for so many, uh, they're not aware that we exist uh, or that there has always been uh, a Christian presence uh, in this land and in this region. Uh, to be quite honest, that Christian presence for uh, in many ways always seems secondary to the interest of empires, even those coming from Christian, you know, uh, uh -huh. Um, we have not always been as if, you know, something to cherish or to protect or, uh, you know, uh, you would think that uh, people should be concerned that Christianity continues in the place where it all started. Um, but it's, it's beyond that, you know. Uh, it's beyond the symbolism of this land being the land where it all started. Uh, you would think that Christians in the West and in other places would be um, at least interested in what we think about things before making judgments and positions about the land where we live in. Mm -hmm. uh, we have been marginalized and ignored for so long. Uh, when I say we have been secondary, uh, this is true. You know, when uh, uh, whether it's the British mandate, whether it's even long before the Crusaders, but let's talk about the recent history, whether it's the British mandate or the creation of Israel, uh, um, the plight of Palestinian Christians have never been uh, important, as if. Um, the fact that the creation of Israel was a huge blow to, to, to the Christian presence here is something that nobody talks about. Yeah. Uh, and uh, not only that, the fact that many countries and churches continue to support Israel at our expense uh, is something we've been lamenting and something we've been anguishing about for many uh, for many years. Because, again, do we matter? Uh, you know, uh, you can't talk about the land as if it's empty. And I've always said this, that, you know, this mentality of an empty land uh, it typifies a typical colonial, and dare I say, That's Christian right. mentality. 
they knew that the land had people, but always spoke and considered our land as a land without people. Uh, and I'm not talking just about theologies or about colonialism. I'm talking about the simple attitudes in churches, Jews returning to their land, you know, as if mm. it's their land and we are occupying someone else's land, even though we've been here for generations, for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, we're dismissed completely. Uh, and by the way, when we talk, uh, we immediately not just get dismissed, but dehumanized and attacked. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, as I'm watching how all Palestinians were brushed with one color, Hamas, terrorists, and so on. Um, you know, as Palestinian Christians, Jared, we've seen this happening to us as well. Yeah. Uh, we've been called all sorts of things by the Western Church. Uh, simply because we challenge their attitudes and positions about the land or about uh, Israel. So, you know, it, it goes beyond us wishing they consult us into uh, many churches and church leaders taking positions that jeopardize our existence here uh, yeah. and uh, continue to contribute to our uh, to our suffering. Um this is something that we've written about. This is something that we've lamented. Um, and uh, just to give another example, because I think it's also important to remember that when the second Gulf War took place uh, with the American and British invasion and other countries to Iraq, all the church leaders in the Middle East pleaded against this war. Nobody cares, because yeah. this war was important for the interest of the powerful for their colonial interest. The empire is still alive. Let's not forget this. It That's looks different right. than in the past, but it's still alive. Um, and the irony is that they continue to speak that they protect Christians. You know, they want to protect the Christians in the Middle East. Of course, if we serve their narrative, which is that we are persecuted by Islam, then they want to... Uh, support us and defend us. But when we say, no, don't attack Iraq or we have a problem with the policies of Israel, nobody wants to listen to us. Um, and we all know what the second war on Iraq, uh, what it lead, led to in terms of the hundreds of That's thousands killed uh, and the expulsion of uh, tens of thousands of Christians from Iraq uh, and Syria. Yeah. Uh, and Again, we, we ask, when will the Christians in those countries or those powerful leaders listen? Uh, I don't think they, they care or they want to listen. They have their interest. And uh, what I lament the most is that the church is complicit in all of this. Uh, the church provides the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, the theology that serves mm -hmm. Uh, this this empire in 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 many different ways um we've been here for generations uh as i said uh as long as we could remember uh at least when i think of my family we can trace our roots back to the end of the six, uh, 16th century here wow. in the bethlehem area uh, many of my friends you know trace their heritage even uh, before that um no, we did not convert. <laughs> I don't know when, who and who converted. And um, Christianity has been our identity, part of our identity. And 
So going back to your question, when did do you first encounter the Bible? Uh, uh, I've always, you know, uh, the Bible was part of my life. I am one of those Bible geeks, by the way, Bible nerds. <laughs> I think I read it uh, first time cover to cover when I was 13 or 14. Mm. And it was one of those who have this, you know, checklist. This is what you read for the day. And uh, <laughs> I didn't even skip the difficult parts. The one <laughs> genealogies and Leviticus. I was so... <laughs> uh, determined funny story the, the parts i would skip were the ones on us you know the end times because i was afraid i wouldn't be able to sleep in the night uh but other than that uh i was determined not to skip anything um and the bible was there but um I can't deny that it helped me in so, so many ways, you know, remembering all the highlights I had and, and the verses I highlighted. But when it comes to the Bible being, you know, quote unquote, controversial, uh, I don't think there is any community that has challenges with the Bible as we do these days as Palestinian mm. Christians. Uh, I don't think the problem is in the Bible, by the way, but in how it was portrayed to us. Um, my, Can I ask about that, Martha? Yeah, I mean, my, my first memories uh, of having difficulties reading the Bible was uh, in the first Intifada uh, mm. in, in 1988. So I was probably nine years old, ten years old. Wow. And um, as I said, I would read the Bible every day. And uh, at Sunday school, I remember very well reading the David versus Goliath story. Goliath was a Philistine. Uh, the Arabic translation calls him a Palestini, Palestinian. Uh -huh. uh, and you immediately have questions. Uh, is God against us? Yes. Uh, this was a very real challenge to me. Uh, how do we explain that? How do we understand that? Uh, I remember reading the prophets, and you know how it is with the prophets. Uh, one passage, they give a judgment on biblical Israel. The other passage, they declare restoration. So when they would declare judgment, I would cheer. And when they declare restoration, I would like, oh, my goodness, why? Why? Is God always with them? Uh, of course, uh, uh, this was these were the thoughts of a young child. Uh, reading the Bible and asking these questions. Um, you know, today, you know, I'm, I'm a Bible scholar and I know that there are so many disconnections and connections between the text and today and that it's not as simple uh, as such a literal reading. But I think these memories, at least right now, to me highlight the danger of reading the Bible as a text for uh, us versus them mentality. Uh-huh. Uh, a, a tribal God who supports one people over the other, which tragically seems the case today among so many Christians. You know, I was uh, reading um, in, in the United States, they just uh, chose a new house speaker, an evangelical Christian. Uh, and of course, one would think we will be excited about this, but of course... For many reasons, many of us are, you know, shaking when we hear this. 
Yeah. Uh, one of the things he said is we support Israel because as Christians, the Bible tells us to support Israel. And I want you to think for a moment what that means. Uh, that means that God is a tribal God. That means that context doesn't matter. Policies don't matter. History doesn't matter. Actions on the ground don't matter. What matters is that we support Israel because God tells us to support Israel. Uh, and, and so when we lament the fact that, you know, Israel seems to have a green light right now to commit genocide in Gaza, yes. uh, this is what we mean. And this is how theology serves that. Uh, and uh, we've been aware of these interpretations. Uh, you know, those that put God in the service of the powerful, of the empire. Yes. And of course, we can be uh, sophisticated about it. You know, it can be we support Israel because the Bible tells us so. It can be the just war theory, you know which uh, I define as a theory of the powerful to justify colonialism and oppression of others. Uh, you know, you just create a reason and in your self-righteousness, you say, we did it for a right cause. Um, so the idea of whether it's that or the idea of a tribal God has always been something very, very problematic to us uh, because we are on the receiving end uh, of that, uh, of the violence of that uh, theology and uh, and and ideology um, growing up in Palestine uh, and you gave one example uh, and we can give you so many examples of encountering church leaders from different church traditions but mainly evangelicals uh, seem very convinced that the Bible tells them that they should support Israel and at best they offer us sympathy uh you know we should pray for our arab brothers arab brothers you know how they say um many wouldn't even call us palestinians um we should pray for the arab church but not for palestinians uh themselves wow. because a palestinian is bad unless he you know sympathizes with israel or he's uh, an evangelical christian um you know uh, it's always qualified god wants to bless israel but it's okay, you know, uh, we have to acknowledge the presence of, of Palestinians. This is at best. Uh, or at worst, we are, uh, especially in times like this, when we speak out. And um, you've seen the call that we've made uh, as many grassroots yeah. Palestinian Christian movement. And to be honest, I anticipated the fact that many will reject that call. We knew, you know. But to me, at least, I want to tell them, you are complicit. Yeah. And you cannot claim we didn't challenge you. You know we challenged you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it seems this is so much embedded in that DNA of, as I said, uh, God of the empire. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and it, it's, it's one package, you know, Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. uh, uh, support for Israel, uh, and so on. It's it's it seems to me at least it's it's one it's one package. It's something that we've been aware for as long as as I can remember as as a pastor here. And uh, I know it took me so long to answer this question, but something I always say is that uh, on top of the many many challenges we face here in Palestine, 
life under occupation and apartheid. Uh, being, you know, uh, small in numbers and seeing many f- leave this country, uh, being tired yeah. from the restrictions, the checkpoints. Um, a, a very, you know, a, a church that is struggling to survive in addition to the political challenges, to addition to all of, uh, you know, the, the realities of occupation, we find ourselves having to invest a lot of our energy and resources challenging our sisters and brothers with their yeah. possessions that harm us. So it's adding an, an, uh, it's adding a pain on top of everything we have to go through here uh, in Palestine. Mukta, you, you've mentioned um, end times and how uh, so often eschatology or eschatologies are discussed um, as if God doesn't have an end in mind and that end being realised in Jesus. Um, and you've also mentioned what gets displaced in those kind of theologies that um, a God who favours one uh, 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 people um, over another and even the way that... Um, that gets defined is in- incredibly problematic. Um, uh, I- I'm I'm interested in terms of this next um, question. Um, e- your generosity on, on sharing your experience um, as a young um, uh, child who is reading the scriptures during the first intifada, and um, uh, your your identification um, with a particular character over another and how Israel gets talked about as if a nation state formed in 1948 um, is that reality uh, again. Um, What from your own experience might be meaningful for Christians um, who haven't been, haven't had a proximity to the pain of um, Palestinian people um, in hearing just how um, just how um, horrific the implications of those kind of theologies are for your own people, um, what what would you offer others that you'd hope that they'd get, rather than like the um, you, you mentioned those who cheerlead um, for these atrocities that are currently happening, but also those who just merely offer sympathy as if peacemaking didn't first start with like an incarnational solidarity with those who are being oppressed. Um, uh, what would you invite people in in hearing this um, to change people's reading of, of sacred texts? Yeah. Um, here's what I would say. First of all, I think one of the things we want to emphasize is that uh, how much theology and the church has been involved uh, in this mess we find ourselves in. Yes, yeah. And I want I want people to acknowledge this. You know, um, uh, I was reading a statement from uh, the bishops of the Church of England today about what's happening. Uh, I was frustrated there was no immediate call for a ceasefire uh, and and other things, but nothing was mentioned about the UK's role in yes. all of whether, you know, they, you know, their complicity from the very beginning in creating this mess. Yeah. Um, it seems, you know, many Christians think they are innocent or 
they're watching from distant. No, you're not watching from distant. You help create this. Mm. I remember this. When Israel was created as a state, um, not only, you know, was it, it wasn't created on an empty land. Uh, there were people who were expelled and Israel was built on the ruins of the villages and towns that were destroyed uh, of those people who are in Gaza now. People forget this. Yes, no, that's right. About this now. Uh, but not only that, those European settlers, because mainly it was European Jews who came to Palestine, needed a reason or a justification as to why they are in our land to create a state. And they found it in the Bible. Mm. Um, just, just think for a moment how we receive this reality that someone came, kicked us out of our land. Why? based on a sacred test that is thousands of years ago, and everyone supported that. In any other context, this would be unacceptable and ridiculed. Mm -hmm. Imagine if Muslims did that today. Mm -hmm. How would we respond? So the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians was justified using the Bible and continues to be justified using the Bible. Let, let's remember that. Yeah. And this makes everyone responsible, My, you know, uh, and I'm not exaggerating here because it's happening in the name of our Bible. Yes. Alone in, there are many church traditions that are directly implicit in, in all of this through their support uh, uh, to, to the state of Israel. And I would like to second emphasize is that um, it should not, and, and peacemaking, and because you've mentioned peacemaking, the Christian response to all of this should not and cannot be, let us pray for peace. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of this. Let me be, I'm very tired of this. I'm very tired of this for several reasons. Uh, to begin with, uh, you know, we Christians love to look righteous. <laughs> we love to, uh, you know, and to look, you know, as if we're better than, we talk about peace, you know. Uh, and so um, I think it gives this notion of righteousness when in the midst of war, you have a prominent church leader saying, I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm praying for peace between Palestinians and Israelis uh, as if Christians are above these conflicts and tensions. Mm. Uh, and I don't like this. I don't like this. Uh, uh, and I also don't like it because this is to me a wrong and naive understanding of peacemaking. Yeah. Uh, I, I say naive because, you know, peacemaking is not neutrality. Yes. Peacemaking is not standing in the middle and uh, praying for both sides and listening to both sides. One person says this, so the other side said this, we should pray for both. Again, this is to me naive, uh, especially in context of long uh, and systematic oppression. Yeah. Uh, imagine coming to South Africa at the height of apartheid and praying for peace between the whites and the blacks. Mm -hmm. And lecturing uh, black South Africans about reconciliation. And or about violence. Or nonviolence. Or, yeah. uh, uh, you know, or the need uh, to uh, understand the narrative of uh, the other. Um, but then when you say, uh, no, no, we don't take sides. 
we're not gonna condemn you know uh, israel and you know uh, i've seen this highlighted recently in in many ways because uh and, and let me say this um when it comes to what's happening in our land in palestine many have been calling the reality as apartheid using that word apartheid for a long time yeah uh, and i remember uh dear friends from south africa uh, who would come and visit us and speak at christ at the checkpoint and uh, other conferences they would tell us what you have is actually worse than apartheid why aren't yes. you emphasizing that and we, we, you know uh because you know we live in a in a reality that uh, in which anything we say is immediately pushed aside as anti-semitic yes uh and then you know we, we knew it but and then you had so many reports whether from amnesty international or human rights human watch rights watch uh, UN. salem you have many un reports emphasizing with and and by the way apartheid is not an opinion It's not, I don't ask you, Jared, what do you think? Do you think, no, no, it's it has a definition. A legal a, definition, that's legal right. Definition. Yeah. So you have, does it take the, the legal definitions? And it does. Uh, and so uh, all these reports came and then we, we just, okay, we have to push churches now at least to respond to this, to these definitions. And you know what, what is the common response we get? This is not helpful. This is a polarizing language. Uh, uh, you sh- Christians should be peacemakers. And I think this goes beyond naivety into complicity. That's right. Uh, where, you know, you you don't want, you know, again, and 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 you can cover it with self-righteous uh, language as that we don't want to burn bridges with our Jewish uh, partners. Uh, peacemaking means calling things by their name. Peacemaking means speaking yes. through power. Peacemaking means taking sides. Yes. Uh, does God take sides? This is a question that, you know, uh, and, and and people are surprised when I say he takes sides because, you know, I've always lamented the idea of a tribal God. He doesn't take sides with a certain tribe, people, group, or ethnicity, or even a religion. God mm-hmm. sides with the oppressed. It's so clear in I the Bible. Yes. I mean, that explicitly, I side with the poor, with the refugee, with the oppressed, with the orphan. Uh, and then you look at the life of Jesus. <laughs> did Jesus take sides? Who were his best friends? Where did he minister? He was in Galilee most of the time. He was with fishermen. He was mm-hmm. uh, with the outcasts of the society. Uh, everything in Jesus's ministry embodied that. Uh, you know, to me, uh, in Christmas, I always remind people, Jesus was born on our side of the world. He was born among yes. those occupation. Don't tell me he doesn't take sides. He does. Uh, and again, it's not he, he sides with me just because I am a Palestinian. He sides with those under oppression. Yes. Uh, and I think as Christians, we should side with truth, with with justice. That's our calling, uh, and that's what I would say. Christians need to understand. Uh, it's not just you know silence in the, in the face of what's happening, because in this particular context, the church is complicit in its position. Yes. Uh, in its silence, but beyond silence, in its naive or diplomatic uh, Christianity, as as I like to call it. Uh, uh, I think I've heard this term also from a South African friend when he said uh, toothless Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, we we you know we we're we're troubled uh, 
with the bombing of civilians in Gaza. We're concerned about the bombing of civilians in Gaza. Yeah, that, that that's, uh, you know, what, what do I do with your concern and trouble? You yeah. know, it comes now about you. I'm sorry you're troubled. I'm sorry our death troubled you. Yeah. Uh, uh, but this is the idea of, you know, what I want Christians to hear is that uh, you have to choose where you stand yeah. in this. Um, going back to the question of apartheid, uh, this is what I tell church leaders now, and those who know me know I'm in conversation with many, and many times I challenge them, and uh, I see this as a calling, uh, especially with uh, with what's happening in our land today. And I tell them, in 20 or 25 years, when it will be too late, mm -hmm. you will be apologizing for us for not calling out the uh, apartheid realities of Israel. And again, pretending to be self-righteous and, oh, yes, uh, we should have listened to those Palestinians. And I tell them, we will not allow you to do this. Yeah. We told you. You cannot pretend you did not know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and in, in nowadays when information is available, social media is available, our voices are there. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a decision that people will make. Who do you yeah. listen to? Do you search for voices on the ground? Or are you just fine, uh, uh, comfortable with a narrative that uh, suits you and suits your desires and uh, interests? And Muntha, it, it's not like articulating the legal definition of genocide is a radical position. I mean, earlier this year, we saw a former leader of Mossad, the, the Israeli like um, uh, equivalent of uh, the, the secret services, um, uh, call the current system apartheid. Uh, we saw over 800 Israeli academics, intellectuals and rabbis call the current system apartheid. Uh, what I find so stunning about what you're saying, and Muntha, uh, again, I ask your forgiveness, I'm aware that so much of, like, even my messaging to have people here, I first start by centering um, Jewish uh, uh, voices for peace, like Jewish Voice for Peace, um, or is Israeli Human Rights Group, uh, because the reality is for so many that um, uh, Palestinians, they're their default setting is their voices aren't to be trusted. That's how that's how deep the dehumanization is, even amongst like people who are passionate in the peace movement, even amongst people who are working for human rights. And uh, this has been an ongoing struggle for me is like, how much am I playing into that by first holding up these voices? Um, because the incredible thing is that I mean, it's Desmond Tutu, it's Nelson Mandela, whose statue, by the way, in southern limit Lebanon was just bombed by um, the Israeli military um, in, in a refugee camp, um, but that's barely m making the news, um, the, the deaths of um, Palestinian refugees um, in southern Lebanon. Um, but it's Desmond Tutu himself who called, like, the, the walls that run through um, your town apartheid walls. And as you were speaking, what came to mind again was um, if the elephant has its foot on the mouse, and you say um, that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. Uh, um, with this passage that you have chosen, um, with the suffering that your people are undergoing at the moment, um, I'm so aware that people's eschatology 
um, will... Uh, I, I'm looking for another term other than Trump because that term has been so spoiled by US politics, but it, um, eschatology seems to trump um, the example of our Lord Jesus, the teachings of our Lord Jesus, um, uh, uh, the call to discipleship. With the passage you have chosen, um, the pain-riddled poetry of the 22nd Psalm sung out by our Lord upon the cross, would you start to open up for us what it would mean for us to, um, like, leave behind safe forms of peacemaking where we um, give you our sympathies um, and share our concerns and then um, make public pronouncements on street corners about prayer? And instead, would you invite us into this text as as an invitation into incarnational costly solidarity with those who are suffering so that we don't lose track of the image of God in all people. Um, can I provide some space for, for you to do that for us now? What would you love for us to see in the 22nd Psalm, particularly as it's sung out by our Lord um, as he's been crucified? Um, what would you, How would you like that to impact those of us whose location it isn't your own. Yeah. And 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 before I um, even answer that, I can't resist but make a comment about eschatology. Um, Please, yeah, yeah. Because I, Muntha, I think it's so important, and for so many people, and I think of like little you, you, you as like a um, cute little Bible nerd uh, kid, and even your own association um, that. Uh, you're not a part of Israel at that young age, um, says so much about how so many people are formed to view this conflict, right? Um, yeah. Would you speak to some of that? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, to me, I think it's really, uh, as someone who lives on the ground, as someone who's struggling, and, and my struggles are uh, about survival, uh, about the future of my kids, even the present of my kids right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, this is life or death to us. And to somehow think that answers to our struggles right uh, uh, lie in the right interpretation of Ezekiel 37, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it's really... Uh, and... What I want to say is a church that has no mission or message, a church that is bankrupt when it comes to what we should tell our people will immediately think of superstitions and the antis. Yeah. And I think this obsession with eschatology that's so deep in the evangelical church, in my opinion, speaks of a bankruptcy in terms of what is our message to our communities right now? Mm -hmm. Uh what what how is the gospel embodied uh in our midst in our actions in our ministries as we speak in our communities and context and if my answer is well in the future then i think it's an indication that you have nothing to offer now and yes. that, that's not that's not the kingdom of god as i as i understand it that was embodied in the ministry uh of christ and uh i think it's important to call it out. Uh, you know, we mm. could engage in exegesis. No, this is not what the text says. And uh, I've done this. God knows I've done this. Yes. Uh, um, but I think the real, the, the, the core issue is what is our message 
today. And that's one of the things I always say is that I've looked for answers in Genesis 12, even Galatians 3 and and, Mm. and Isaiah and and, and Ezekiel and found the answer actually in uh, the Sermon on the Mountain. Mm -hmm. Uh, Found the answers more also in the uh, uh, prophetic uh, images and uh, hope uh, that uh, is embodied in the in the prophets when you understand them correctly not yes. as with a circle you know magic ball that tells us the future uh it's it's a call to engage in our broken world and bring a new reality uh especially now that the the, the divine intervention happened in Christ we know how it all uh happens um but going back to the scripture we began with uh i think that text uh, offers us an opportunity to do something that we're not so good at as Christians, let's be honest, which is uh, lamenting. Mm. Lamenting, dwelling, and uh, allowing ourselves to be broken. When I say we're broken, I think we forget that this is actually a very biblical experience. Uh, yes. An important experience because uh, it allows God to pick you up and it allows uh you know it, it helps us empathize with others think with others um and more importantly lamenting means that we tell god we're angry we're not happy with things as they are uh when i lament um racism for example uh we shouldn't be quick to just say you know you know it's 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 one thing to tweet about racism it's another to dwell on it to sit on it to listen to lament to weep and then to act because lamenting always you know leads us to action true lamenting should lead us to act because we're not pleased with how things are we want to change them and so if we're not broken from the inside if we're not weeping over the brokenness of our world I think we become shallow and apathetic and uh, we look at things and uh, we read the news. Yeah, uh, 100 people died today, another bombing in Gaza. It's unfortunate. Uh, No, we should should not stop watching these images of death, uh, of destruction, so that we are moved to act. Uh, We should guard ourselves from anger. Uh, but there is righteous anger. There is a place yeah. for uh, anger, uh, especially when it's uh, directed towards towards God. Uh, but also that that verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As I said in the beginning, and I want to emphasize this now, uh, shows the importance of uh, costly solidarity, as you mentioned. Uh, Jesus's solidarity with uh, us as human beings led him to die for us and with us. Mm. Uh, he did not just say, I care. He showed mm. us that he care uh, in the most meaningful way, but in the most costly way. Um, Jesus didn't look at us in our suffering and pain, pain that we inflict on one another. The cross is man-made infliction. Uh, it's, yes. not, it's not a, a hurricane or uh, he looked at that and says, not only I, I, I reject this, but he himself became a victim of that. And, and this is this is the ultimate cost of solidarity as it's uh, yes. 
Uh, and in our context, costly solidarity means speaking, as I said, uh, speaking truth to power and willing to defend that truth. Uh, I'm not, you know, we don't want people to hate anybody. We don't, we're not calling for the destruction of Israel. Our end goal is mm. to share this land with Israel. We've always said it. Um, uh, but sadly today, so many Christians get it, but are not willing to say it because yes. they are afraid that they will lose so much. Yeah. You cannot imagine how many times I am in a, you know, Zoom allows us to have these closed conversations. They're not recorded. No one ever knows about them. And many evangelical leaders tell us they get it. And they always oh. say, you know, our group, it's difficult. Uh, or we have to be uh, smart, wise. We can't just push it. We have to uh, uh, be gentle uh, with our evangelical sisters. And, you know, you know how it is. Yes. Uh, yeah, don't want to uh, push them aside. The soft approach, and I Co always cause them to stumble. Yes, I mean, did this soft approach work? Did it lead to anything other than you know more and more complicity and um, of that? So, cost of solidarity to us means actually a lot because we are aware of so many Christians who get it, but who are not willing to speak up because it's unsettling to their position and comfort. Uh, and I have to admit that uh, and acknowledge uh, the cost of solidarity of so many people around the world. Uh, we're mm. so grateful. Uh, there are so many quote-unquote outcasts like us mm. who, uh, uh, who, who are walking with us and have actually paid a very heavy price for their solidarity with us uh, from the global south and from the north. Uh, and uh, we are so much in appreciation of their uh, uh, positions, their, the, the fact that they accompany us uh, in, in our uh, struggles and, and suffering. Uh, and I would be uh, ungrateful if I don't acknowledge this. And I always pray for the courage to do the same, uh, uh, to do the same to them. We have friends from India, from the Dalit community who are wow. discriminated against themselves, who are texting us all the time. We're organizing events. I'm actually speaking in an event uh, tomorrow uh, in, in India. Uh, and to me, you know, you know, Zoom, of course, cool. I'm not going to India. Okay. Uh, or actually on Friday. Uh, and to me, to think that these are sisters and brothers who are living under so much pressure themselves, yet they find it in them to organize a webinar about Gaza and to call for leaders from their community, church leaders and others to listen to uh, to our uh, plight. Uh, to me, this is so much uh, uh, encouraging. This is what I call, you know, uh, uh, solidarity from the margins, south to south, if you wish, mm -hmm. or uh, those who are on the other side of walls coming together uh, in solidarity with one another uh, and honestly uh, finding the encouragement of Christ in our uh, in our midst this is uh, this is powerful and uh, and and encouraging um, and what what I would plead with at the end is that we make our positions uh, uh, gospel centered and and Christ centered 
Yes. Uh, it is what I mean. Uh, you know, uh, we have this concept in Palestine called sumud. Maybe you've heard of it. Sumud means resilience. The Palestinian resilience, sumud. Uh, it speaks to our resilience in the face of so much uh, uh, injustice over the years. Uh, we've been pushed away, we've been hit hard, but we always stand up and we're still here. We've yes. lost so much, but we're still here. And, and as I said last Sunday to, in our sermon, uh, those in Gaza lost almost everything. No, they actually lost everything, but not their dignity. Yes, uh, That's powerful. Uh, but that sumud, that resilience, is, is, has become a character of the Palestinian and also of the Palestinian church. And I look at Jesus himself being in that resilience, uh, sumud of Jesus, if you wish. Mm. And that is seen on the cross itself when Jesus prayed, my God, my God, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Mm. Uh, to me, that's important because he did not lose the core of his message, uh, of his mission, uh, that of love, mercy, and forgiveness. He did not allow uh, his torture uh, he did not allow the oppression, uh, the cross, uh, the beating to make him hate and to make him seek revenge. Um, and I hope that those who come in solidarity with us emphasize this, that we're here to really bring justice, equality, and long-term uh, uh, long peace. It begins with ending the occupation. Actually, right now, it begins with ending the war on Gaza. That's right. Uh, is our urgent, urgent call as, you know, people are literally dying as we speak. Yeah. Uh, and we all need to unite in making strong calls to the international world, to the leaders, please stop this genocide, stop this war. Uh, yeah. But we should always allow our responses to be gospel-centered, Christ-centered, and also, uh, you know, gospel-centered doesn't mean naive or, or soft or, you know, Jesus yes. was so should we be angry uh, we should speak truth uh, and this is uh, to me what we learn from the Jesus who cried my God my God was have you forsaken me because he still found it in him at the cross to call for forgiveness he still saw the humanity on both sides uh, this is challenging. This is challenging to me right now as someone who's filled with right now, as I speak, we're so angry at the, the death. Mm. Uh, Lord, help my unbelief to continue to see the humanity, your image in everybody uh, we encounter uh, in this land. So this is our invitation uh, to you, not just to, you know, we made a call to repent from complicity of the Christian world and what is happening here, but to join us in our uh, mission to bring justice uh, into this land and challenge the in the structures of injustice uh, with the hope that this will one day lead, uh, lead to peace. As far as it sounds like now, and as, as much as I don't want to think, you know, it's hard to think of it, but we cannot lose sight of, of that goal. Hmm. Well, the, you, you have been so incredibly generous with your time, with all that you have going on. Um, please know that uh, not only do you have our, our prayers, but you have those prayers in action. And um, again, I, I just ask your forgiveness that um, uh, so often 
um, uh, the, the reality of what you live with daily it is not there for us, is not felt by us, it is not such a reality for us that um, uh, it, it is atrocious that it takes ethnic cleansing and genocide. Again, legal terms, not just mere emotive terms, but the legal definition of these terms to be carried out currently for this to be in people's uh, minds and imagination. And um, we, we just rededicate ourselves to um, keeping track of the image of God in everyone. Um, you so rightly earlier um, named the realities of racism. Um, and as someone who has been offered Israeli citizenship because of my mum's side of the family, um, uh, yes, we stand against all forms of anti-Semitism. Yes, we stand against all forms of Islamophobia, but apartheid is also racism. Ethnic cleansing is also racism. Genocide is also racism. And if we choose to highlight one of those and not all of those realities, we're actually being caught up in this current propaganda that values some over others. And um, I, I just want to thank you again for your time. And uh, we will continue to call for ceasefire. Um, we, we will continue um, to name things um, accurately. But Muntha, if people want to follow you, um, if they want to go further, if people want to listen um, uh, to your sermons, um, e even through interpretation or maybe praying for the gift of interpretation, how can people um, continue to, to follow your work and witness at this time? Oh, um uh, I'm happy, you know, um, uh, I'm not so good at self-promotion. It's good. Uh, I encourage you to read my book, The Other Side of the Wall, to begin with. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Helpful book. Um, I'm trying to, um, you know, be active on social media, whether on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, you can find me even uh, Instagram. Uh, it's hard to find time to continue to, to write, but... Uh, most of what I write, I share on my social media. Uh, there are plenty of um, videos online, mm. not just for me, but also for many of my uh, amazing colleagues, many of whom I've learned so much of where I am right now from. So I encourage you to visit the YouTube channel of Christ at the Checkpoint. Yeah. Uh, it's a channel for Christ at the Checkpoint. It has many, many amazing uh, videos. Um and um, uh, finally, if you have the gift of interpreting tongues, uh, you can listen <laughs> to my sermons every Sunday on, on our uh, Christmas Lutheran Church uh, uh, Facebook uh, page. Um, we usually post the text and uh, Facebook generates a translation itself. Sometimes it's so funny. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I'm not responsible for everything uh, attributed to me through the automatic translation of Facebook, but it gives an idea of the things uh, we are engaging with, at least uh, at our uh, Christmas Lutheran Church in, in, in that line. Thank you, Montha. Montha, I talked about my mum's side of the family. Um, uh, to, to close with my dad's side, on my grandmother's road, um, in Ardoin, in Belfast, there is a mural for Gaza. And I, I don't read Irish, but the part that I can understand says, where is the world, uh, written in English. 
um, please know that we are here and that we're here with you. And again, we ask your forgiveness and we re recommit ourselves to standing in incarnational, costly solidarity with you and your people. You have our prayers, but you also have us, my friend. Please, please, please know you're not alone. Thank you. Thank you. And please continue to pray for uh, the end of this war uh, on Gaza. It's really, really tragic. It's uh, it's horrifying, not just the images, but when we speak to people on the ground, it's horrifying. Uh, this must end now. And let's continue to urgently and plead with God and with politicians as well. Let's not forget that, that this war uh, must end. So keep that, uh, keep Gaza in your prayer, uh, please. Thank you. Thank you, my friend.